every life has a story. And every story is worth sharing. Your story, my story, and our story speak of victory and defeat, joy and sorrow, resilience and vulnerability. They are not just our story. They are Christ's story in us. They are Kingdom Stories from Down Under. 22 years ago, I went to Bible College, Western Australian Bible College, and um, among the lecturers who I uh, had the privilege of having was Murray Patchett. Murray Patchett was teaching us public speaking, um, pretty much preaching, just public speaking. And he was a wonderful, wonderful lecturer and teacher, practical in his teaching, very vivid, very full of actions, and he really had a massive impact on my personal life. We became also friends, and uh, later on, you know, 15 years later, when I opened up the, Western, uh, the Australian School of Ministry, he was one of the first people I called in to come and help me to map the school and also to teach at the school, which he did with so much love and so much passion. And I was so grateful for his work. We still keep in touch and he often comes and shares at our church. And it's just an absolute wonderful uh, uh, journey that I've had with Murray. And tonight to interview him is a, an amazing privilege. Welcome to the show. Privilege for me. Thank you. Right. It's yeah. been 22 years yeah, since we've known each other. Yeah. You haven't aged a bit. I'm oh, losing you, my hair, but you're, you're keeping well. <laughs> you're a smooth talker. You just can't see where mine's lost. <laughs> no. Yeah. Pretty yeah it's, interesting. It's, it's a lifetime for some it people. It is. It doesn't seem that long, but yet we've journeyed for so long. Yeah, I remember I remember those days very well. Vivid, quite vivid. They were yeah. good fun. At, they were. Uh, they were. Bottle Grove yeah. on Hale Road there. With some good people. A lot of good yeah. people. You were, managing, you were managing the internships as well. I was. And, uh, yeah. yeah. Sending students out to practice ministry in yeah. a variety of churches. It was, it was just a And keeping the campus nice, yep. and nice and tidy. Yes. Were students living on campus as well or not? There were some students living in their house, house that was uh, uh, next door to the campus, yeah. Yeah. Wow. yeah it was good. Do you keep in touch with any of the former students or the? Uh, I, can, I catch up with some of them on occasion. I saw Isaac Ken, who was a pastor with the Baptist churches. Yep. So I caught up with him just recently. Um, yeah, catch up with a few of them over the times. That's and now in my, my present role, I see a number of people in churches that, um, yeah. So you work for Christian funerals, Christian funerals at which the moment, is yes. a um, different ministry. It is a definitely a different ministry. <laughs> yes, yes. I don't sending, think sending people off on their eternal journey. <laughs> I don't think you ever envisaged this. If no, somebody would have I told you not. thirty years ago that you'll be a funeral director, you know. No, I definitely would not have um, agreed with them. It was <laughs> so going to be full time ministry. It is. Yeah, well, yeah, this is yeah, ministry. Yeah, probably it, more it than is. You realize. It's a very different ministry. Yeah. Let's rewind a little bit uh, your story back to when you were this this tiny. When you mm -hmm. do you still remember when you were four or five, or even Not younger? Not a lot. No, no, I don't remember the, the intervening years have played <laughs> havoc with the memories and the, some of my lifestyle um, choices during the years have also impacted that. <laughs> obviously, the. Uh, Photo albums are not as thick as the kids have it today. No, no. I've probably got about five photographs of me when I was a child. Yeah. That's it. 
That's probably right. more five more than I what yeah. I have. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, don't have a don't have a lot of memories of when I was a child. Were you born here in Perth? Born in Perth, mm. raised in, born and raised in Bassendine. Nice. Lived most of my uh, my Riverside. First, yeah, oh, fairly close to the river, a couple right. of streets away from the river. Um, we I lived there for 22, 23 years. Mm-hmm. Then moved all the way from Bassendine to Bayswater with Whoa, my folks. Cross Tonkin. Yeah, that's <laughs> it. And then uh, now mainland. Oh, so, even closer. So, so, so even closer to the city. Just yeah, moved, three suburbs away. Yeah. Only Asheville is in the middle. Yeah, that's, that's right. Well, Asheville oh, I went was, to school in Asheville. Asheville was pretty much Bassendine. Yeah, I don't yeah, even was. know why they gave that's it exactly that, right, another yeah. name. <laughs> Cyril Jackson High School. Yeah. yeah. So Bassendine Primary School. Nice. Cyril Jackson High School. Playing footy, cricket, soccer. Yeah, all of the above. And then... Hide and seek. Indians. A, sorry? <laughs> Hide and seek. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember Cowboys those. Of the don't Indians. remember those. Um, but we had a huge property in Bassendine, so... Um, yeah, we had an acre property, so that was... One acre. Yeah, it was That's interesting huge. to... It was interesting to grow up on that property, snakes, because we had a swamp at the bottom of the... Or a spring, at least, which became a swamp at the bottom of the property. Mm-hmm. Snakes and all sorts of things. So, wow, yeah, were you bored up with snakes? <laughs> I was a really an outdoors person. Yeah, yeah, nice, very outdoorsy. Brothers, sisters, one sister, all the younger, uh, oh, younger, two years younger. So close. Typical Australian family. Um, two years between the kids and two kids. You know? <laughs> That's it. That's it. Duplication. Yeah. And then my sister has two children, and I think there are three years between them. So, okay. yeah. Unfortunately, mm. I don't have children, but we'll come back to that later, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, your parents were from England or from no, Australia? No, both my parents are Australian. My grandparents on my father's side were from England. My grandparents on my mother's side were all born in Australia. So I'm a probably fifth generation Australian on one side and second on the other side. Yeah. Yeah. Your teenage years? Teenage years, I spent, I was, I was um, uh, inducted into the YMCA as a young boy. And, um, my Did you grow up in church? In y- no, never, never. Never visited church. Closest I got to the church was. My mother used to play tennis at the Methodist Church in Bassendine, but we never went to church. She just yeah. she just played tennis because they had a tennis court there. That was it. That was yeah. the closest. But why was here was a Christian organisation. It why it was originally in yeah. its genesis. Yeah. But through the years, it just became another boys' club in a sense. Mm-hmm. And so, um, at about nine or ten years of age, I went into the YMCA. And grew through the grew through the YMCA into leadership, becoming a leader in the YMCA. Um, so, is that like boys' brigade kind of thing, or just more advanced? The- more advanced, based on scripture uh, principles. Yeah, I mean, I can still remember scriptures from um, some of the groups that we were involved in because they would have they would have um, a period, uh, at the beginning of a meeting where they would. Read the scriptures. Yep. You know, Jesus increased in wisdom and stature in favor of God and man. Wow. You know, Luke 2.52, you know, just things that 
scriptures that wow. way back then just remember to today, remember. remember them, yeah. Wow. So, yeah, a lot of my time, again, lots of sport, um, gymnastics, very physical stuff. Lots of time on Rottenness. We used to do a lot of camping on Rottenness. We used to have Christmas camps at Rottenness for all the school kids. Nice. And we would go over there and then I wasn't saved. And in my um, reprobate years, we would go over there. We'd set up the campsite. Yes. And we'd spend four weeks there with the kids and then pull down the campsite and spend a lot of time at the pub, unfortunately, back in those days. So <laughs> it might Beer have been a Christian organisation, but I was not definitely not. Beer was cheap. Yeah, well, it wasn't so much cheap because we didn't earn so much money back in the day, but it was just what, what you, you did, did as an Australian. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so even as a um, you know older teenager going into young adulthood, that was the lifestyle. Yeah. A lot of beer on the weekends. Yep. Yep. What did you do at school? Um, Sorry. Did you specialize in anything while you were at school? No, not really. Finished year twelve or year ten? I or? finished year. I finished year uh, ten. Went to Governor Sterling, and. Um, in year 11, I discovered girls and guitars. Mm. And so my studies... Strings attached. Yeah, definitely strings attached. <laughs> studies got pushed to the side, guitars and, and the interesting girls got in the way. So eventually I flunked out of school. But interestingly, my, my folks, and this is a little bit of a... An interesting aside, my folks um, took me to do some IQ tests, government IQ tests, mm -hmm. because they wanted to know what's Murray going to do now because he's not in school. <laughs> he didn't pass, so what are we going to do with him? And I did all these IQ tests and I found that I had a high IQ. <laughs> and my parents, uh, so the, the, the... There you go, high IQ. High IQ, yeah. <laughs> it's true. It is. <laughs> so um, all these government people were saying, look, you need to send Murray back to school. He can become whatever he wants to become. And my folks said, nah, nah. <laughs> cost money. <laughs> so I don't know why they bothered with the IQ test. So I ended up um, in dental technology, trained as a dental technician. Mm -hmm. And um, That's a good trade. It was a good trade. It was it was a good trade. Very interesting. I, I really enjoyed it. Um, I rose up again through the ranks of that to uh, be in charge of a laboratory at the Perth Dental Hospital. Mm -hmm. Eventually left the hospital, uh, started my own business. But in the meantime, I'd started playing volleyball. As a lab? You started your own lab? Started my own laboratory, yeah, yeah, yeah. dental laboratory. Um, specialising in uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's it. Chrome cobalt construction, the metal yeah, dentures. Met, yeah, that was um, so specialised in that, and did did well at that. But at the same time, I was playing volleyball. So a lot of my time was was playing volleyball. Beach or that big, uh, no beach? Team. Wasn't um, big back then. Wasn't big back then. No, that that beach volleyball didn't start really um, in Australia until. Kind of Late the end ages. of yeah until the time I pulled out of volleyball, but I I represented being the tall, state. Being tall, yeah. you would have done extremely yeah. well. So I represented the state for about five years in volleyball. Wow. Started a volleyball club that became very successful. Mm. 
And it was through that time that I started to realise that there was more to life than volleyball and dental technology. <laughs> so during the day you'd be working. I'd and be working. You were fully immersed in... In, uh, Every night, volleyball training, training or, or playing volleyball. Weekends was playing volleyball. Indoor. Every weekend, indoor volleyball. Mm -hmm. And um, so I was just um, completely, completely ensconced in volleyball. It was just... In a way, it was good because it kept you away from mischief. Uh, no. No, it didn't. <laughs> because after volleyball training and after the games, it was everybody down to the pub. Yes. So, you know, that lifestyle still Back persisted. To the girls I was drinks. very fit. Yeah. But he used to drink a lot. Good and looking. again, there were lots of girls involved in volleyball as well. So it was um it was an interesting period of my life. So um I in the meantime I had travelled overseas. I'd spent um what, seven or eight weeks in Europe. Um playing or just touring just on holidays? Just on holidays, just touring around. I, um, I also, in the interim, had been in the Army, uh, in National Service, spent um, my time there, 18 months, which was yeah. all, I, all I needed to do because Gough Whitlam came in while I was in and told us, you know, you can get out. I chose to stay, but I only had to do 18 months instead of two years because I chose to stay. Interesting time of my life as well there. And, uh, and then it was from then I went back into volleyball and um, it was interesting because I had my own business. I travelled overseas. I'd been in the army. I had a lot of friends and acquaintances. I had money. I was successful in sport. I was playing and representing WA in sport. But I was starting to feel that there's got to be something more. Yep. Got to be something more. And um, so I went on a search and I ended up in the occult. Um, Google wasn't around. Google wasn't around. <laughs> but I was able to find occult groups, you know. And Didn't have to look far, did didn't you? Didn't have to look very far. <laughs> in those days, they were, they, were, they were there right in front of you. And so, um, yeah, got involved in a couple of different groups, one in particular and um that, that had come out of south america originally mm -hmm. but it was it got to be quite big in australia and and i um i remember the first night i got into that group i had this um encounter in my bedroom and i was asleep yeah and I suddenly had this vision while I was asleep of hands around my throat and I couldn't breathe. Mm. And, and I'm starting to say, and I, I can see my volleyball friends around me and I'm saying to them, it's the devil, he's got me, he's got me, the devil, he's got me. And um, my friends, this is a, 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 this is a vision, remember? Yeah. And, and my friends couldn't see the hands around my throat, but I could, I could feel the hands around my throat. So it's the devil, he's got me, he's got me. And this is the night, the first night after getting involved in this occult group. And um, these hands around my throat were squeezing more and more 
And I just kept saying, it's the devil, he's got a hold of me. And then suddenly this, and then I looked down and I could see the hands. And now it was no more a vision. It was actual. I could actually see the hands around my throat. And suddenly this, this sound just came through the room, this a wind yep. came blowing through the room and the hands disappeared. And as I say, by, by the time I could see the hands, it was no longer a vision. They were, those hands were really there. They were actually around my throat. I could see them. Yeah. They were obviously in the spirit, but I could see them. And um, I kind of didn't think anything about it. Really dumb. <laughs> Went back to sleep. And but that was vivid, that stayed with me. But then I continued on in that occult group for the next 18 months, two years, mm. thinking that I had found the answer. Yep. Because there was all this amazing stuff happening. We could levitate, mm -hmm. we could speak with spirits, mm. we could do healing, we could move stuff with our minds. It was just and was like, well, stuff. well, I didn't think it was spooky. It was like, well, this is amazing stuff. Was there drugs in it as well? No drugs, so? no drugs. No drugs. Just alcohol. Yep. But um, it was just this all this stuff that was happening, and it was real. It was we could we could do stuff. And it was like I found the answer. I found the answer. This is... But then one day, another one of the ladies who was in that group spoke to me and she said, you know what? She said, I went, I went to a, this church down the road and she said, there's some really strange stuff happening there. Mm. She said, there were people there speaking weird languages, speaking in tongues. And so that intrigued me because of all this other stuff that was going on. I could speak to spirits and you could move stuff. Hey, if I can go one yeah, better. Yeah. Well. But I didn't. I wasn't interested. Oh. I thought, that's interesting, but I, I chose not to. Um. And she gave me a pamphlet yep. about it one day. And then she dropped out of the occult group. And that was the last I saw of her for quite a while, uh, for a number of months. And for whatever reason, I took this pamphlet and took it home and put it in my bedroom but, and forgot it. Yep. Didn't even know it was there. A few months later, uh, we had a volleyball camp mm -hmm. um, down at Mandurah. Yep. And I had a uh, yacht, a catamaran, mm -hmm. that I used to uh, sail around down, down Mandurah and, and Rockingham, those areas. Just love sailing, absolutely love sailing. Wow. And um, so we were all down there sailing around on, on my yacht and everybody's having a good time and had a few drinks. And on them, it was Easter. Yep. And so we weren't playing volleyball over Easter, but we were—we were all of us on this camp um, that we had just chosen to to do. And on the Sunday morning, I just felt I need to get back to Perth. Mm. So I packed up the packed up my yacht, packed up my car, and drove back to the city, thinking, "Why am I coming back to the city? I don't know why I'm coming back to the city because I was yeah. enjoying myself down there." So then. In the afternoon, I went for a drive and I drove to the other side of the city. Mm -hmm. Now, back in the day, we didn't have all the highways, so we got now the freeways and that. 
So I had to drive to Beckenham, yeah. a young lady that I'd been going out with for a while. We had, um, we had a bit of a rocky relationship. <laughs> uh, it wasn't a bad relationship, but rocky in the sense that do we, don't we, sure we, shall we yeah. you know, keep going out? And I just went to visit her this night, um, Easter Sunday night. She wasn't home. So I got back in my car and I, was, I drove home. Now, home was in this direction. Yeah. And I could get home from Bateman coming this way. Yeah. But for some reason, to this day, it had to be God. I ended up going from going to my house over here this way. Yeah. Through the city. Yeah. I had, I had no intention of going there. My intention was to go home. Yes. Have a couple of drinks and, you know, relax and... But I ended up going through the sit going through the city, and ended up sitting outside of this church. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking, what am I doing here? Mm. There's no reason for me to be here. What am I doing here? Yeah. So I drove home. I got home, parked my car, walked into the bedroom, put the keys down, and when I put my keys down, there was this brochure that I, that was there from seven or eight months previously yeah. that I had totally forgotten about that I didn't even know was there. It was sitting on the top of my dressing table. Mm -hmm. How it got to the top of the dressing table, I have no idea. But the brochure was about that church. Oh. So I opened it up. What time does the service start? Six o'clock. It was 5.30. Oh, sure I, shan't I? Sure I, shan't I? And there was this, just this overwhelming urge, I have to go down to the church. I have to go down there. So I drove back down, parked in my car, walked in. There were people singing and dancing and carrying on. And which church was this? It was Inner City Faith Fellowship, mm -hmm. which was in the Wilson Car Park in Sterling Street now. Mm -hmm. um, but that's where they were. And I walked in there and people greeted me at the door. And I was, you know, I had a few drinks. Yep. Um, and got in there, and I sat right up the back. And I was that was the first time visitors seats, weren't they? No, no, that was, <laughs> that was because I chose to not be anywhere else. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, no. Well, first time visitors for people like me who didn't really want to be there, but yeah. were there. And, and so it's like I'm thinking, why am I here? Why am I here? I don't want to be here, but why am I here? Just, there was just this compulsion to be there. So I was sitting up the back near the sound desk. Yeah. I sat there while they sang all these songs. I didn't understand anything, but I do remember one of the songs. Sing hallelujah to the Lord. Sing yeah. hallelujah to the Lord. And then men sing and then the women antiphonal oh, singing and all beautiful. that. It was just, it was brilliant, but I didn't get it. No, no. <laughs> Sounded nice, but I didn't get it, you know. And then this red-haired American preacher spoke for I don't know how long, didn't hear or understand a word, but I was transfixed. I could not move from that, that seat. Yep. Didn't understand anything. I don't know if I actually heard anything. At the end of the, his message, he did the usual Pentecostal thing, you know, every head bowed and eyes closed. I didn't hear that, but I saw everybody else in the building bow so their head. Suit. So... I, no, I didn't follow suit immediately. 
um, because I didn't understand what was happening. So, it, you know, all the, all the good Christian people in the building bowed their head. And I'm sitting there looking around, what is going on here? I do not understand. And I looked over at the sound desk and the guys in the sound desk were looking around and I thought, if they look at me and they see me with my head up, I'm going to look like a bit of a goose. So I bowed my head. <laughs> I mean, there's all this weird stuff going on in my mind. I love this. And, and I bowed my head. Yep. And I started to feel really uncomfortable. I could not understand why I was feeling so uncomfortable. And I opened my eyes and looked up and my hand was in the air. I had not put my hand in the air. <laughs> I literally had not lifted my hand, but it was yeah. in the air. I pulled it down. I closed my eyes and, what is happening here? Next time I opened my eyes, I was standing at the front of the church. <laughs> it was like, this is weird. And then he, this American preacher was walking along and there was probably about 20, 25 people yeah. in, the, in this standing at the altar as I now know, it's the altar, praying for people. Some are falling down, some are not. And there's this woman walking behind him. I'll never forget my thinking, she's twittering like a bird. <laughs> this woman that's walking behind him, twittering like a bird. And he's praying for people, some of them falling down. Some of them start twittering like a bird. What is happening here? I could not for the life of me move from that spot. I was, I was stuck there. He walked up to me. And you obviously led me through a sinner's prayer. Yeah. To this day, I don't remember anything of that. I just remember the result of what yeah. happened next. Yeah. Um, I, 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 as far as I was concerned, I wasn't a sinner. I believed in God. I was a Christian. Yeah. I hadn't raped any little old ladies. I hadn't robbed any banks. <laughs> hadn't hadn't murdered anybody. You know. Yeah, of course. The, the typical typical thing, Australian thinking. I must be a Christian. Yeah. Because I believe in God. Yeah. Um. So obviously through the I mean, sinner's I prayer. I like the occult, but I'm still a Christian. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, I was still in the occult. That was the yeah. whole point. <laughs> and and um, so obviously the sinner's prayer, I didn't think I was a sinner. I had, had no idea who God was, no idea who Jesus was, no idea of salvation, no idea of what the cross was. And I obviously spoke the words that I was invited to speak without thinking. Yeah. But it was a whole spiritual thing, absolutely spiritual. And it was like suddenly, you know what it's like sometimes in summer you go out and you work in the garden and you're sweating and you come in and you get under just a warm shower yeah. and you get under a wash and it just feels so good cleansing mm. you. I felt that go through me from the inside, yeah. just completely wash me from the inside. And I knew immediately something had happened. And then I started speaking in tongues. Wow. Had no idea. I'd never heard of tongues, apart from what that lady had told me eight months previously. But she didn't explain what it was. She said, down there they speak in tongues. Oh, okay. <laughs> and here it was. I was speaking in tongues. It was just the weirdest experience. And um, then they took us into a back room. And, and from there I learned, by the way, the, um, the necessity of discipleship. Mm. Uh, follow up and then discipleship at least because they took us into a back room and they gave us this little tiny book about this big <laughs> the new birth yes you know one of those kenneth hagan books and um i went home put out a beer drank a beer 
celebrated. All this stuff had happened, but my life hadn't changed. That's right. Stuff had your changed. Spirit, your spirit has Something changed. Something inside of me had but changed, not. but I hadn't changed. Yeah. So the next week, back to the occult. <laughs> but speaking in tongues. <laughs> it was the weirdest experience. So I'm in the occult again doing all this levitate, all this, anyway, all this other stuff. This other stuff, by the way, which is real. Yeah. It was absolutely real. Yeah. You know, but it just wasn't the truth. And I didn't realize that at the time. It was only afterwards that I realized it was the truth. Uh, there was, uh, there was um, false. Um, so if I could get out of the pub in time, on a Sunday, I went to church. Mm -hmm. Half of the time I got to church, I was sozzled <laughs> for the next two months and then just stopped going to church altogether. But in the intervening time, I was still speaking in tongues. But you made no friends. There was no discipleship, no, no connection. Nobody, nobody. It was a bigger church. It was a you, big you church. You were lost in But there. nobody, well, not even lost. It was just, hi, how are you as I walked in? See you on the way out. That was it. And nobody followed me up. Sorry, I lie. I got one phone call. How are you going? I'm doing fine, thank you. That's it. Because <laughs> as far as I can, well, I was concerned, I was doing fine. Yeah. That was the whole, that was the extent of follow-up yeah. and discipleship. Anyway, um, yeah, so I continued in the occult. But the whole time, this new thing that was happening to me, I was praying in tongues, praying in tongues the whole time. Now, that happened in... Uh, Easter 82, mm -hmm. right? Nine months later, and this is the interesting thing. <laughs> nine it takes months about later, nine months yeah, to birth a, a new beginning. And that's exactly what, that's exactly the, the thing I see. Nine months later, I had this urge, I need to get in touch with that woman who gave me the brochure mm -hmm. because I hadn't seen her for a while, so I guess maybe she'd been going to a church. So I got in touch with her. And... Um, she said, oh, come over. We're, we're meeting tonight, in fact. Come on over and we're, we're, um, we're studying the Bible. So I, you know, a bit of fear and trepidation, I rocked up at her place. And that was it. I then the following Sunday, that, so that was on a Tuesday night. On the following Sunday, I went to church at a place called Faith Chapel. Mm-hmm which ultimately ended up being in this building here. That's right, next but door. originally it was in Corbusier Place in Belcata in a warehouse. Yep. And I went there and that's the day my life changed. So you I know, and had it was John nine Fred months later. Yesterday in church. It was yesterday, was it? Yeah, I knew he, he shared, was coming in. He shared about uh, that place, how they got it. And yeah, stuff. it was a miracle. Yeah. Even this place was a miracle. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but is. it was yeah, really interesting. But that day I walked into that church on that Sunday for me, that was the birth. Mm -hmm. Conception. Yep. In labor pains. In about April. It was, was mid-April. <laughs> yeah, sickness. yeah. And January, or f beginning of February, no, end of January in '83. My, that was the day my life changed. Wow. And I walked into that. So that, that nine month period, it was really just this incredible thing in God that I've seen. Yeah. Nice. So, um, yeah, so then I got stuck in a Bible college and church every week and church every night and, and uh, yeah. You did El Shaddai, I, did you? I did El Shaddai Bible college. Wow. studied at El Shaddai. Then when I graduated, then we moved to this building. Yep. And um, 
I became a youth leader. Mm -hmm. I became a worship leader. You're still playing volleyball? No, I was still playing volleyball. And I gave up volleyball in 1983. But I was still, in the meantime, I, was, I, was, I had still been playing volleyball. And as a job, you were still doing a dental? I was edition. still dental laboratory. And then once I started in the Bible college, the dental laboratory didn't hold as much interest for me. <laughs> so the so I didn't have as much of an income, but I was studying the word of God and that my life was just changing. God was just had got a hold of my life. And one of the one of the um, one of the most powerful things was I started praying with John at the I, I used to start I used to come in, we had a Tuesday morning prayer meeting. Yep. Most most weeks there'd be just John, friend and myself praying. Mm -hmm. um, and then we'd study at night. Yep. And then there was this one night we were in doing Bible study. So I'd been in the Bible college now for about six months. Mm -hmm. And uh, after the after the the evening had finished, I just felt this burden of God to pray. Yep. So I just started praying and then suddenly, ooh, it was, oh, oh, the groaning in the spirit that Paul talks about, yep. like a baby giving birth. And I was in absolute pain. Everybody else went home <laughs> and I was there, just this, this thing in the spirit, the Holy Spirit just literally praying through me. John Friend prayed with me. I remember him praying with me. Then he went home and I was in the church. Just, just, oh, God, oh, God. I, to this day, I have no idea what the result of that was. Yeah. But I know that there was something taking place in the spirit. That that whole Paul thing, my brothers, I groan like a, like a woman in travail giving birth. And I knew immediately that that's what that was. That was just something... I'd never, ever experienced in my life, obviously, up until then. And look, maybe it was me getting delivered from all the stuff that I'd been involved in in the occult. I don't know. Um, but again, that was one of those seminal moments wow. in, my, in my Christian experience. Then we moved to this building and I chose then I'm not going to – I don't need the business anymore. Mm -hmm. I'm going to um, – apply myself full-time as Christian ministry. And so I finished Bible college and then I started in the end of, at the end of 85, I started lecturing in the Bible college beginning of 86. Mm -hmm. And then in 1987, I sold my business and went into full-time work here with John um, as his... I wasn't an assistant pastor. I was really just a pastoral assistant. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, so I was leading the worship. I'd been involved in the youth ministry. And you play keyboard or? No, no guitar. 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 And, um, yeah, again, saw some amazing things happen in worship. And during that period, God had laid on my heart that I was going to be working with Indian people. Yep. That became really quite evident around 1980, yeah, about 1987. How did you keep away from all these girls coming through a Bible college? 
Discipline. Discipline. Eh? Yeah. God had, God had, as I say, God had changed him. That, that just, that change came just, um, I, I mean, I was still, I was, I was still, I was, in my, I was in, no, well, I was in my 30s. Yeah. Um, I didn't have a relationship. I would have liked a relationship, but I chose. It's in God's hands. It's in God's time. And then I got this real burden to work with the Indian people mm -hmm. and, and had it confirmed a number of times that I'll be working with Indian Here people. or internationally? I'll come to that. Okay. <laughs> I'm about to get to that. Um, and in the meantime, here, there was an American gentleman started coming to our church, Mark, and I cannot remember for the life of me remember his family name. But I then got involved with um, uh, Full Gospel Businessmen's. Yep. And back then in the middle 80s, it was huge. Yeah. We would have um, banquet meetings where we'd have five, 600 people turn up. Wow. And I was leading the worship and I was on the leadership team for Full Gospel Ministries for a couple of years. And the person who was the president of Full Gospel back at that time was a guy called Ray Dallant. Mm -hmm. And there was another Indian man called, name escapes me, well-known. Um, but Ray um, led Full Gospel Businessman, he was president, and he was a business man. He owned the Pancake Man in... Uh, Forest Chase. No, in um, Chelsea Village. Okay. Down in um, Netherlands. Broadway. Yeah. And we got together, um, Ray and Mark and I got together and we just discussed things. We started praying together and we decided we need to start a ministry in that place. For the next probably three, three, maybe four years, three years at least, every Saturday morning mm -hmm. we had a prayer breakfast. Wow. At the Pancake Man in <laughs> Netherlands. And we had people come from all over the world that had heard about the Pancake Man Prayer Breakfast. Wow. It was amazing. God, it was just a God thing. And it was just for that, that period, three years. And so a number of the young people that were in the church here came and they were, they were serving there. Yep. Chris Friend being one of them, John's, yep. John's son. Yep. Um, and a couple of other people, Paul Morrison's wife, mm -hmm. uh, Rebecca. Rebecca? Yeah, Rebecca. His wife was one of the kids that came along and served yeah. every week. So, again, it was, it was this formative stuff for the kids, but what God was doing in this prayer ministry at the Pancake Man. I mean, real prayer ministry, pray, eat breakfast, yes. <laughs> pancakes yeah. with the eggs and bacon and the, and the works, maple syrup, and then somebody would share the word and then we would have prayer. Mate, some of those prayer times were powerful, mm. powerful meetings. I remember one meeting I got prayed for and there were some of the other Bible college students there. So I'd go up to the front of the, of the, of the um, uh, restaurant and Ray had put a little stage in. And it, in fact, it was John Friend preaching this particular day. And I went up the front because I really felt I needed to have some prayer. So John prayed for me and there, was a, there, was, there were tables along the wall 
Yes. And one of our Bible college students named Sally was standing at the table with a hand praying, you know, like you do, pray, hands, hands up praying for the same thing that the pastor's praying for. And I remember getting thrown through the air, <laughs> about 10 feet through the air, landing on the chair right in front of Sally. Wow. And she she ducked. It was just, it was, again, it was, that's the sort of thing that was happening in this in this prayer ministry that was taking place at the Pancake Man. Just powerful, powerful stuff. And, I mean, we saw people getting delivered. We saw people getting healed. We saw great words of prophecy, words of prophecy that are still coming true to, to pass today. Back then it was yeah. just the most amazing time. But it lasted three years. That was it, gone. Yeah, and then Ray Ray sold the Ray sold the property because he became the principal of Kingsway College, mm -hmm. um, or around that time he became the principal. And so yeah, there was just amazing stuff happening in my life. There was amazing stuff happening around me, the people around me. And then with the uh, Indians. And then and then it was at that prayer meeting one Saturday morning. We had an Indian pastor mm -hmm. minister. Yes. So I thought, great, God's called me to work with the Indians. I'll get in to pray for me. So I went forward and I said, you know, God's told me I'm going to be working with the Indian people. I'm going to go to India. Because in the meantime, I had started training for ministry in Pakistan with Russell Sage. Yes. For Shelter Now International. Mm -hmm. So it was called something else then. And so I was training with a couple of other people who ended up going. Yep. But I didn't end up going. This Indian pastor prophesied over me, he said, God doesn't want you in India. And I actually I actually argued with him. <laughs> he said, God wants me in India. He said, No, yep. God does not want you in India. <laughs> I said, but God has spoken to me and wants me working with the Indian people. God doesn't want you in India. Yes, he does. That afternoon I went to another meeting at Hyde Street Church. Mm -hmm. AOG Church, where Tim Hall was the pastor. And I can't remember exactly what was taking place. It was obviously ministry. That's why I was there. Couldn't get enough of going to church back in the day. And um, Tim Hall, halfway through his message, just turned to me, pointed to me and said, what you heard this morning is true. <laughs> and I had to think about it. I said, what did I hear this? What, what is it? Oh, not India. India. Not going but to not India. India. But hang on, God has told me I'm going to India. At the mid, mid 1989, a team from the Bible College went to Malaysia mm -hmm. and they took me to Malaysia. John said, You need to go. There's no Indians in Malaysia. Mate. <laughs> so I ended up, we ended up in Malaysia. We went into Singapore. We worked in a Chinese church. We went across the straits into um, Malaysia. And the first church we walked into was an Indian church. <laughs> you were home. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. This is, <laughs> I just felt literally, yeah, I felt at home. John Ezekiel was the pastor. Then we were going through Malaysia, stopping in Kuala Lumpur, and then we were going to a place called Ipoh. Ipoh. And when we got to Ipoh, I just connected pretty much immediately with the pastor, Daniel Babu. And we were there for 
five days. Mm -hmm. And I just, it was just like, this is home. Yeah. This is literally home. Daniel asked me to come back. Oh, no, sorry. He rang John Ezekiel before we got there. He said, what are these guys like? Can we trust them? Are they all right? Because, you know, you know, yeah. some visiting ministries, yeah, you've got, yeah. you got to know. John, and John gave him a good report, fortunately, because um, we all, there were about five of us, I think, we all connected, but I had in particular connected with the Indian people. So when we got to Epoch, I just immediately connected with Daniel immediately connected with the people and he asked me to come back mm. and work with him in the church. So I came back to Perth and, um, yeah, ended up going back there at the end of 1989, spending three years there. Wow. Um, as a, a missionary. Mission, as a missionary, yeah. The Faith Chapel sent me, John sent me, mm -hmm. and I worked in the church there. Um, full-time? Full-time. And going into villages as well? Yeah, it was an amazing experience. I, the church didn't have any money. In the meantime, I'd gone back to work for the business that I had sold. The dentistry uh, In the dental lab. technology, the dental lab. I went back and worked there. Yes. And um, sorry, no, let me jump back a step. When we came back from that trip, in mid-1989, I was in the office over at the, at the house over the road, which used to be yeah, the church office, the uh, which was the man's year. And Bob DeGraw was the academic dean of the college. I was the, what was my role? I can't remember. John was the principal and I was dean of students, I think. Yeah, I was dean of students. And... Um, and we're in my office in that building over the road praying. And Bob and I were praying and praying it through. And Bob knew that God had placed this call on my life. And he knew that it was to be in Malaysia. And so we're sitting in my office praying, praying, praying. God, you know that you want, I know that you, we know that you want me in Malaysia. You know that I've been called there. I know that this is the call upon your life that I've got no money. Because at this stage I was still here, I hadn't started back in the laboratory. And within 30 seconds of us praying, God, you know, you, we've got it, I need to get there, do the finances to get there. Within 30 seconds of praying that prayer, the phone rang, and the guy that I'd sold the laboratory to rang me and said, Murray, I urgently need you to come back and work for me. <laughs> and so I went back working about 30 hours a week. Got some good income. And then another guy in the church who, um, two guys in the church actually at the time, owned um, uh, backpackers, two backpackers hostels. Yeah. And they said, we think you work amazingly with people. people. Come, and, come and be the manager of the hostel. So I ended up doing dental technology and managing a, a backpackers hostel. Just God just provided the income. And at the same time, we're still working at the church. And lecturing in the Bible College. So it was a pretty intense time. Yeah. But in six months, God provided the money for me to live in Malaysia for three years. Wow. So, um, so I went backwards and forwards to Malaysia twice in 1989. And then at the end of 1989, I think October, you 1989, there I moved there. And I was there till September um, uh, 92. 
And that's where you made your work. And worked in the church there. Let me tell you the church first, though. That, that part's good. The, the, the church, <laughs> that's the, the church every, everybody's pretty, waiting for the, 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 the part. The church is pretty good, too. Um, <laughs> so the church had six outreaches, and we were going to all these villages up into the hills, working with a lot of very – most of the people we were working with were – Malays. Uh, no, no, Indians. Indians. But they were very, very poor, slum dwellers. Mm -hmm. They lived most in of Malaysia. In Malaysia. At the time, it was a third world country when I first went there. Mm -hmm. um, and most of the people we were working with were slum dwellers. And I mean real slums. Mm -hmm. You see some of the slums on TV. This, these, these places were just as bad. And we just saw God do amazing stuff. People getting saved, people getting healed, people getting delivered. I mean, I could give you story after story after story, but other but we'd be here on nights, so I won't. Just to say some of the stuff that God did. There was I'll, I'll give you one quick story. There was a um, a young woman uh, came to the church. Oh no, we got sorry. I got a we got a phone call from a young woman to come and uh, would we come and please pray for her? Yeah, and she lived in these slum places. Um, and so we we drove to this area, and there was myself, the uh, two, three of the church workers. We parked the van because I was the van driver as well. We parked the van and we walked into this area um, because we had to go, you know, these little narrow streets and uh, or alleyways, and it was just a tin shack. No, no windows, nothing, just holes in the wall, dirt floor, all sorts of stuff. And so um, she spoke a little bit of English. Actually, the English she did speak was quite good, but she also spoke Tamil. Yeah. So the people I was with spoke Tamil. So between me understanding what English she did speak and the interpretation I gave me, she had been a Christian. Mm -hmm. She'd given her life to the Lord when she was younger. Then she fell in love with this man who was a Hindu mm -hmm. and he forbade her from going to church. Oh. And he, he was getting worse and worse, was drinking. He was starting to be violent to her, the whole works. Can't remember if they had children or not. But I, if they did, I didn't see them the yeah. day I visited. <clears throat> but I do remember that while we were actually praying for her, I just happened to, you know, sometimes when you're praying, you look up, yeah. look around. I just happened to lift my head and look up and looked straight out this hole in the wall and saw this guy with the reddest eyes and the angriest face. And I thought, uh-oh, this is not good. Anyway, so we finished praying. Didn't see him again. We're walking back to the vehicle, which was about 200 yards away. And when we got towards the edge of the um, compound or the area that the, all these slums were um, located in, I heard a noise and I turned around. I was at the back of the group. Mm -hmm. So there were the three people that I was working with and myself were walking out and heard a commotion. I turned around and this guy's coming at me with a machete. Yep. About ready to. He was he, he was yeah. literally about ready to hit me, and some guy, just just one of the onlookers, um, as we were walking out, because the white man was a novelty. Yes, right. By the way, in tall this area, and tall, 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 
I don't know about blonde, big nose, <laughs> tall, tall white man was a novelty. So people were watching and one of these people from the slums just he grabbed this guy's arm as yep. he was about to swing it down on my, on my neck. And, I mean, I was, I was that far away he was from him. He, he, that, was, that was what he was trying to do. He was the husband of that woman. Of that woman. So we got out of there and we just prayed and prayed and prayed, obviously. The next morning we rocked up at the church and I'd pick these people up to come to the church early in the morning. And when we got to the church, this woman was standing there with her husband. Mm. And he was apologizing. He was sober at this time. He apologized most profusely, most profusely. First thing I did was I just leaned over and hugged him. Wow. He broke down, he cried, and we led him to the Lord. Just instant, just yeah. just changed. Just I mean, just those little those those miraculous things. I mean, I, again, I could go on and on and on. All the manifestations we saw, everything. Don't need to. Um, but let's Malaysia fast forward just, a little bit yeah. to your meeting. So there. anyway, I, let's get to the climax. <laughs> <laughs> so I. Um, I was getting invitations to minister all over Malaysia because in my um, Bible college, my bachelor's degree, I wrote on work, praise and worship. Yes. And particularly on praise. Mm -hmm. And so my thesis was 25,000 long, 25,000 words long just on praise. And because it was something God had just put into me. So when I was in Malaysia, this was just before all the Hillsong and, and, and um, or around the time, before Hillsong, but around the time of um, Maranatha and, and all those things had um, been coming out. And so in Malaysia, I was invited to preach in a lot of churches about praise and worship. Saw so breakthroughs, man, saw so breakthroughs. We would, we would preach about, I'd, I'd teach about praise and worship because my, all, even all the Indian churches, the Pentecostal churches, were still very conservative. And then I'd come along and I'd get people dancing in the aisles and, you know, praising God in worship. And, and there was one place in particular, a little place called Raub. No, Mentacub, up in the hills of, of, uh, in central Malaysia, Chinese community, and so I had to be interpreted. They didn't speak English. Well, a couple of them did. Mm -hmm. There were a couple of teachers in the group, but the rest of them were, you know, uh, street vendors or whatever. Some of them were, were um, uh, very poor people. Preached on praise and worship, and so when I when I teach and preach on praise and worship, I try to make it really active yes. and as much fun as possible. The pastor that was interpreting for me was brilliant. <laughs> he was the pastor of the church, and after we I, I'd done the teaching about an hour and a half, we decided, okay, let's push all the chairs back. Let's put into practice everything we've just taught. So just me with just me and my guitar and just sang some songs that they knew and I had my eyes closed and all, all the chairs there were tin chairs. You know the fold-up yeah. metal chairs that make a lot of noise when you're folding up <laughs> and pulling them apart? Um, suddenly there was this bang, crash, wallop, just this noise 
and look up and there's a couple of people who got, God had picked them up and thrown them across the room into these chairs, delivered them. Yeah. One of them was a school teacher mm -hmm. a, um, and spoke great English and she testified how during the praise and worship she just opened herself up to God and God just delivered her by throwing her across the room, whacking into these chairs. Um, yeah. As I say, just all sorts of amazing stuff happening. Anyway, then I got invited to this church in Kuala Lumpur. I can't Ghana. wait anymore. <laughs> I'm sure I'll We're there, we're there. We're there. We ended up at this church in Kuala Trangano. Um, Which means? Multicultural. Kuala Trangano. Uh, Kuala means confluence. I'm not sure what Trangano means. But... <laughs> we'll look it up. Yeah. Well, Kuala Lumpur, for instance, means the confluence of dirty, ri uh, muddy rivers. Muddy rivers, yeah. Yeah. So. Um, Kuala means confluence of something. Um, but I, I, I travelled overnight by bus from Ipoh to Kuala Trangano. If you travel straight across, it's about four hours. But because they had no highway, I had to go down through KL, across the, across the lower highlands and then back up the coast. So it was a 12-hour trip. Nice. So I got on the bus at 7 o'clock at night in Ipoh, woke up at 7 o'clock in the morning in um, Kuala Trangano, the pastor's there to meet me. We went out to breakfast and then he said, okay, well, now we're going back to the church. Well, in Malaysia, they, a lot of the churches are in shopping centres. So when we went back to the church, we went back to the church and his house is above. So I was staying above, but nice. we walked into the church first. and um, But we had to go past the pool, the, the pool room. Because yeah. the pool room, you know, where the boys, the Malay boys would play pool, had to go past that into the church. So I walked into the church building, through the, went through the door, and the, um, the front of the church was over here, and we were heading towards the back of the church, and the offices were over here. So we walked into the church, and I'm looking up the church, looking at the offices, and I hear this keyboard playing to my right. So I turn around and look to my right, which is actually now behind me, yeah. and there's this young woman playing the keyboard. Mm -hmm. And I looked at her, and the instant I looked at her, God said to me, there's your wife. <laughs> so she's a Christian, she's playing keyboard in a church. In a church. In Ipoh. And then at the same instant, I found out later, God spoke to her and said, there's the man you're going to marry. Wow. Now, that was the fulfilment of a word God had given me here when um, I was lecturing in the Bible College. We had a, had a, um, a bookshop here. Uh -huh. And I was reading a, a work by Chuck Swindoll. Okay. Because I can do that. Yeah. I've got free read. <laughs> got, got the ability to read all these books in the yeah. bookshop without having to buy them. So I was reading this Chuck Swindoll book. I'm sitting out in the sun, actually. It wasn't the busiest book drop in Perth. So I was sitting, <laughs> I was sitting out in the sun reading it, and, and there was the scriptures. Um, Genesis, it's not 14, it's verse 14. Genesis, oh, how bad, I can't remember. Um, where God says to Eliezer, go and find a wife for Isaac, my son, for Isaac. And, and so I then pulled the Bible out 
and I don't, I forget, it was about servanthood. Yeah. Um, uh, the um, Chuck Swindoll book was about servanthood. Yeah. So this is what a servant does. He yeah. fulfills his master's vision. So I then got the Bible and I was reading that portion of scripture. That's and as I was reading it, God said to me, do not look for a wife. I will bring her to you. Beautiful. It was it was as clear as day. Yeah. As clear. It was like God standing in front of me saying it, do not. Around the same time, <laughs> I had this encounter with God. Oh, t- t- going back probably a few months, I'd had this encounter with God in my bedroom mm-hmm. or Jesus in my bedroom. I woke up in the middle of the night laughing, mm-hmm. laughing, 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 and it was like, you know, the bottle of Perrier water, you open it yes. and the bubbles come up. That was exactly what I felt like. This felt like the bottle of Perrier water, these bubbles, laughing, 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 laughing. And this was long before um, Toronto experience. This is 15 years before yeah. the Toronto thing. And, uh, oh, no, maybe 12 years. Um, and then Jesus standing at the end of my bed. I haven't shared this before. Mm-hmm. Jesus was standing at the end of my bed and <clears throat> I wanted to bury myself through the mattress into the floor, but at the same time I wanted to reach out and hug him. Yeah. It was just that, you know, that that pure relation with Jesus standing before me, but I'm a sinner. <laughs> yeah. Saved, but still a sinner before Jesus. And he gave me a vision. I remember the vision. Uh, I wrote it down. I actually drew it. I'm still waiting for that to come to pass. I'm not really sure what that is. And that was 1988, 87, 88. Um, So all this stuff was happening. And then I got this word when God said to me, you don't need to look for your wife. I will bring her to you. So then when I walked into that church in Kuala Trangano, that was the fulfilment of what God has spoken to me two years uh, no, it must be more than two years, probably four years previous. Mm. Anyway, we then got, we um, we met each other a couple more times, uh, only when I came over to the town where she was staying, uh, where she was living. <coughs> and by this time, I'd come back to Perth. This is the, this is the, this is where you uh, need to listen to God rather than yourself. So I came back to Perth yeah. to the church here um, to finalise details because I knew I was staying in Malaysia. Whatever whatever was going to happen, I was staying in Malaysia. Now. I'd been there 18 months. I knew I was staying there. So um, got back to the church here and there'd been a number of people come in from other other churches. Yeah. A couple of churches had fallen apart. There were some really young people had come in around my age. Well, no, they were a little younger than me because I was – I was in my late 30s. They were in their late 20s, early 30s. And there was young one, one young girl. I was only here for two and a half weeks. Yes. It was that one young girl just clicked with immediately. She was a um, nurse, very attractive. She wanted to be a missionary. It was like, whoa. Perfect match. <laughs> Perfect match. But every time I prayed, I saw Shireen's face. My wife's name is Shireen, by the way. Yeah. Every time I prayed about relationship, I saw Shireen's face, not this girl's face. 
I was like, mm, okay. Your heart was <laughs> yeah. Well, no, my my spirit was captured. Yes. My head was saying something else. God, this girl is Australian. We get on well. She's called to be a missionary. You know, same culture. There's a good chance we'll get on really well. She's Indian, different culture. Just as much as I get on well with her. Yeah. But every time I prayed, I saw Shireen's face. So I got back to Malaysia and I went across to, to her town to, to uh, got in touch with the pastors. I have to come across. <laughs> I have to come across. Um, would you like me to preach? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so came over, went to the church on the Friday. I preached in the church on the Friday night. Forget what I preached on the Friday night. Then on Sunday, Saturday, sorry, Thursday night, because in Trinquata Tranganu, Thursday night is Friday night. Yeah. Friday is Sunday Saturday. morning. Yeah. So um, on the Friday morning, I got up and I was praying about what I was preaching on that morning. And it was. Um, Eliezer. It was, no, it wasn't Eliezer. It was. Father, not my will, but thy will be done. Yeah, because I'm dumb. Yeah, I'm I'm really dumb. So I'm 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 praying this. I'm praying for this message, and for for two hours before the service, I am bawling my eyes out. Thinking, oh God, what is happening here? What is happening? <laughs> this is not me. I knew this was God. I knew it was God, but I had no idea what He was doing. Yeah. I'm crying my eyes out. So I get up, and I preach this message on. I will. Yeah. Know, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. And it still didn't hit me. So we, in Malaysia, when you preach, everybody then goes out for a meal. Yeah. Everybody. You yeah. go to a restaurant because it's so cheap. Everybody goes. So we went to the restaurant and sitting there, Shreem was in on one table in one room because it was an old house that they divided. And I was sitting in the other room with the pastor. And a couple of times I looked across and I could see Shireen and she was looking at me. And I, God, what is going on here? <laughs> so I said to the pastor, I, said, I need to speak to Shireen. He said, okay, let's go back to the church. So I asked Shireen if she wanted to come and talk. So we got back to the church and we went and sat in the office and he, and then you can see yeah, right through us. You can see through the glass because in Malaysia you do you are not ever alone with a woman, particularly an Indian woman. Yeah. Um, and so we're sitting there chatting about a few things, and, I, and eventually I said, "Look, I said, look, I said I don't know what's happening here. I said, but I think God wants me to ask you to marry me." Now this is only the third time we've met. Well, off the bat, the third time we've met. But I knew that this was this was what God was saying. I believe God wants me to ask you to marry me. And Shireen looked at me. Oh, no, sorry. Let me take a step back. Because at the time I was going to be a missionary, I, was, I thought I was going to, we were going to go and travel into... Um, India. Itself. No, into Myanmar, because I'd been invited Myanmar. to go and teach up in the Karen villages in, in Myanmar. And this was just before uh, Aung San Suu Kyi got, um, won the election yeah. and then the military government said no and then went in and started bombing the Korean people. 
So it was around that time. And um, so I thought I was going to go there. And I said, are you prepared to, to um, um, leave family and home for the gospel? He said, yeah. I said, are you prepared to give up everything you've got to preach the gospel wherever God sends you? She said, yeah. I mean, okay, she's Indian, dark, not really dark skin, but certainly darker than mine. And then the next question was, are you prepared to give up your life? I mean, literally give up your life for the gospel of Jesus Christ. You kind of, if, you, if, if an Indian person can go white, she went white. <laughs> and she said, yes. And I said, I believe that God wants me to ask you to marry me. That was my proposal. Yeah. Would you, are you prepared no to give dating, up everything? No court, yeah, 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 yeah. Are a, you prepared a, to give up in everything? In a church office. Yeah, yeah. And, and she looked at me and she said, I believe God wants me to say yes, but I want you to know I'm not saying yes to you. I'm saying yes to God. No. There was no love yeah. because we, we'd met three times. Yeah. This was the third time we were, we were just being obedient to what God called us. It was prearranged marriage yeah, it was by God. Absolutely prearranged. But if I hadn't been working among the Indian people for the previous eighteen months, I wouldn't have accepted it. No. In fact, I'd struggled with it, as I just said, when I met this young lady back here. Yeah. Before going back to Malaysia. And Shireen's words are, and it would would have been good if she was here to be able to say it, but she was still working when I left. She said, at that moment, there was no love. And it was at that moment when she said, I'm not saying yes to you, I'm saying yes to God. She explains it this way. Suddenly the head was open and buckets of liquid love flew, poured down on us. Wow. And immediately just we were in love. It was just the most amazing thing. So then um, I came back to Turanganu, uh, what, four more times? <laughs> And our courting was me and Shireen going to the markets or me being in the house and everybody else being there. Because <laughs> when we went to the markets, no, the whole, you know, all, the, all the cousins had to be with us because they cause had, had to be um, escorted and, yeah. and, and, and um, chaperoned. Um, then Shireen came back to my hometown one, um, one time. People in the church met her, loved her. Yeah. Um, and they got married on the ninth time we met. Yeah. The ninth, the ninth time we were together was the time we got married. In Malaysia. In Malaysia. And, um, yeah, that was just a great thing. Just, it was just a great thing. And her parents, were they Christian? Parent, uh, no, it's only her mother. Her father had been divorced and gone back to India. Mm -hmm. So her... The whole, okay. all the rest of her family um, um, were Christians, and they, yeah, or they they challenged me. Yeah. One of the aunties, very very strong woman in the Lord, she challenged me on about the fourth time I came over before I asked her to marry me, or the third time I came over before I asked Shereen to marry me. She said, "Why do you keep coming back here?" She said, "If you're not gonna, if you're not gonna." Um, um to marry you she said don't bother coming back again <laughs> oh, that, that was straight yeah uh, that, that was just good people good people I, I will never forget that and i praise god for for that stance that they took that there's there's no messing about here if this is what you believe god wants do something about it 
And so, yeah, we got married and then we got married in April of 1992. In late August of 1992, God in his wisdom sent us to England. Mm-hmm. So I had spent three amazing years in tropical paradise working among the most amazing people. The Indian people just had seen God do miracle after miracle after miracle. Which part of India, South? Kerala? Her family's from Kerala, yeah. But no, we went to, God England. sent us to England. That's not from tropical From tropical paradise to Sunni Manchester, <laughs> the wettest and coldest. Wettest, coldest place in England. So the th- we had three amazing, I had three amazing years in Malaysia where we just saw God work, just yeah. do amazing things. And then to industrial And Manchester. then we went to Manchester for the six hardest years of my life. <laughs> And literally, God took me to Malaysia, took us to Malaysia to break us. People don't like to hear that, but the scriptures make it quite clear. God will break you. Yeah. And that's what He did with us in England. He took us there. We were there to start a Bible college, mm-hmm. but we were actually there for God to break us. Six hardest years of my life, of our lives, was in England. Mm. Yeah. And that was. As much as we saw all the miracles and all the outstanding stuff that God did, people getting saved, you know, healed, all this miraculous stuff, the supernatural taking place in Malaysia, loads of the supernatural taking place in Malaysia, England was quite the opposite. Hard, 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 hard. hard. But all the stuff that happened to us in Malaysia, which I won't go into now, obviously, because it's very late. Um, it's a story for another time. But what we went through, it was like you've encountered me in that place with all that amazing stuff. On the mountaintop. On the mountaintop. Come in the valley. Now, well, this isn't in the valley. This is in the trenches in the valley. <laughs> yes. Because it was the lowest of the low. The shadows of death. Oh, mate. Yeah, definitely. And, and it was actually in England. Yes. As much as I had seen God move and work and do all that stuff and I'd given up everything and I lived out of a suitcase, that was all I had. Yeah. I owned only what was in a suitcase. So I'd given up everything to do what the Lord had asked. I'd go to England to do what the Lord had asked and that's where I met Christ. Mm. Just this, this, this depth of despair of the stuff that happened that he allowed to happen to us and it was in that place that I had the deepest encounter with God. And I praise God for both of those things, for Malaysia yeah. and all the miraculous, but England and all the hardness. Because I can minister to people now out of what I know is the depth of despair and weakness that a lot of other people can't. Mm. And, and it's in that place that I encountered God more than I ever encountered him in Malaysia. Just and got to rely and trust and then, and just hold on to God. Beautiful. So much more than I had in that other place. So now you're in Perth. Now, now I'm back in Perth. Came back at the end of 1998 and there's a whole difference. The, the whole England back to where I am now is a whole different story. So maybe yeah. one day. Yeah. <laughs> but just What's next for you? Let's fast forward a little bit. Um, whatever, whatever God wants. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm involved in the funeral industry right now. When I came back to Australia, I was in Bible college ministry for all those years, which of yeah. course is where I met you. 
Um, and that was that's my gifting, that's my calling, that's what I love doing. That is that is the essence of who I am. Yes, is the Bible teaching. Um, and unfortunately, that came to an end at the end of, end of 2014. I ended up in retail. Best looking checkout checkout office works, I might say, <laughs> for four years. Um, and again, had I, I saw God do amazing stuff there with the unsaved. Sure. Um, people just asking me all the time, come pray for me, pray for me, pray for me. Just seeing God do stuff there. But now I'm in the funeral industry, have been for the last three and a half years. Mm. And it's a, and it's a, ministry unto itself, a totally different ministry. And I'm working with other Christians in a funeral company called Christian Funerals. Phenomenal. And we're all Christians, three of them are pastors. Cheryl? What's she do? Uh, Shireen. Shireen. Shireen's a, um, she's a dental nurse and a very, very qualified group fitness instructor who is in huge demand right across Perth. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. So she must keep fit. She's very fit. She left you behind. Yeah, she's she's left me well and truly behind. <laughs> like you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She is like I was when I was playing volleyball. I mean, you could hit me in the stomach back then, and it was like hitting a brick wall. But now you hit me in the stomach, you lose your fist disappears into the gel. You know. <laughs> um, yeah. So. Beautiful. Yeah, that's my. That's half my story. This is my half story. Yeah, story yeah. <laughs> Murray, thank you so much. It was great to chat and just to bring forth some of the things that God has done in your life. Thank you for mm. sharing those beautiful thoughts and uh, that beautiful journey. Well, I am inspired. I love uh, this, uh, this beautiful story and how Murray unpacked it for us. I'm sure it has inspired you and it has blessed you. Just share it with other people. Mm. Make mm. sure that... Uh, uh, whatever you're watching or consuming this content, you give us a like, some five stars on Apple Podcasts, and just let this bless mm. many people out there. We look forward to seeing you next time at Kingdom Stories from Down Under. This is Nathaniel Pastier. Thank you for joining us on Kingdom Stories from Down Under. We'd love it if you would subscribe, rate, and share these stories with your wider community. And remember, every story is worth sharing, including yours.